is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO, answering your questions, giving out some advice on this beautiful Sunday. And we're going into another week of interesting legal news, research, writing, arguments, issues. If you can think of it, I've dealt with it after 26 years. And of course, I bring all that knowledge and experience here for you every weekend and um, you know i'm licensed in rhode island and massachusetts and of course if you're calling from another state or you have a question from maybe connecticut vermont wherever you're listening on a podcast we're here to give you a general legal advice and help point you in the right direction and take some of the stress off by at least getting some information you know we can all use the google search and uh it's great sometimes and then sometimes you just can't find an answer to your question because there's going to be multiple points of view. And, you know, the real reason behind that is everybody's factual situation, everybody's case is slightly different, uh, whether it's a boundary line dispute. It may be slightly different than your friends or neighbors, whether it's a trust or estate planning or whether you're in a zoning dispute or perhaps you're going through probate everybody's case is just a little bit different and it's those factual differences that dictate which law is going to apply and that's what's that's what makes the practice of law so interesting and that's what makes doing this show so interesting we could have five callers all with questions about probate deed zoning um insurance and all those questions may be slightly different from one another which require a slightly different answer so it's uh, very interesting the way things happen. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because I wanted to go into a topic that I think a lot of people are confused about. And um, I see it, it's, it's, you know, it sounds so simple, right? We talk about deeds and we talk about maybe putting somebody's name on a deed. Well, maybe we inherited property and we're getting a deed. Or maybe we're going through a divorce <clears throat> and we talk about the language on a deed. And you've probably heard me speak about this many times. And if you own a deed all alone, then that's in your name. That's it. You're the sole owner. When you pass away, if you have a will, your will would say where your property goes. If you have a trust, you don't go to probate because you have a trust and that says where your property goes. So obviously we always prefer trust over a will because a trust, especially with real estate, avoids the necessity of having to go through probate to resolve issues. And it saves time and a lot of money. Now, if you have your name on the deed with somebody else, that's where issues come about. So let me give you some examples of issues. Let's say you own your home as husband and wife. It's called tenants by the entirety. Okay. And it's, it's, uh, it goes back to common law, but it's a way of holding property between a spouse. That means that if you die, it goes to your spouse. If they die, it goes to you. But it also gives you some protections against creditor attachment. Now, those protections have been dwindled down during the years, but if your name is on a deed with somebody as tenants by the entirety, 
And the two of you, that means you have to be husband and wife. So you can't be tenants by the entirety if you're not husband and wife um, or in, in a civil union or marriage. Um, if, um, if you go through a divorce and you never change the deed, what happens? Well, everybody might think, well, if I go through a divorce and I don't change the deed, I guess it goes to them when I die or it comes to me, right? No. In that circumstance, the tenancy by entirety is canceled because you're no longer married and you now own it as tenants in common, which means that your 50% goes to your estate or your will and their 50% goes to their estate or their will. And a lot of people don't understand the differences of what I'm talking about and the implications it could have. Let me give you another example. Mom and dad pass away and the attorney gives a deed to four children. And when the attorney gives the deed to four children, the attorney writes on the deed joint tenants. Now that would mean that if one of the four children die, the other three get it. So one of the children passes away and when they pass away, the um their children come in and see me and they say Stephen, you know uh, we contacted my aunt my dad passed away we didn't know if it was time for us to be able to you know can we we i think we have to update the deed for our names and we didn't know if we had the time to um if maybe we could sell or you know divest ourselves of the share of the house <clears throat> and i said well let me look at the deed and I said, well, unfortunately, in this situation, it appears when the attorney prepared the deed and recorded the deed that all four children took it as joint tenants, which means that when your dad passed away, it became theirs 100%. And so one of the people I was meeting with said, that wasn't the intention. The intention was that it goes directly to the surviving children. In other words, it goes down the line. And I said, to, well, this deed has been there for 25 years. No one ever explained this to you? And they said, no. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, well, have you spoken to your aunt? They said, no. So I said, my first course of action here is to contact your aunt and see what her response is. Is her response to say, yes, that's what we meant to do? and we're going to fix it? Or is her response, no, we're taking the property? Well, the response, surprisingly, was no, we're taking the property and we're selling it and you're not getting any interest out of your father's share. Wow. I mean, you know, talk about a family falling apart really fast. Now, they said, is there any legal recourse? So I went back and started researching. You always got to start at the beginning and you got to start at the probate file and research the probate file and see what the will said. And the will said that when this person passed away, it went to their children in equal shares, which is one quarter, one quarter, one quarter. It did not say it goes to the children as joint tenants. It did not say anything as to that. Okay, so at what point did the attorney decide 
to put joint tenants on that deed. Well, it must have been a decision at some point when the four children signed the deed, and you're presumed to have read what you signed. So the children read it, which means they must have understood it, that that's what their intention was. Now, the question becomes, is there anything that can be done for the benefit of the father's children? Because in the father's will, he said, I leave my one quarter interest to my children in equal shares, which is interesting because that told me that he believed he still that he could give away his one quarter interest, which told me that maybe they did not intend on creating this joint tenancy. Maybe they intended on making a tenant in common which means that everybody's share goes to whoever they leave it to. So there's a colorable argument, and it's, it's, it's using my knowledge in, in real estate, probate, uh, family, and all these different areas of law to figure out what the intention of the parties were. Not what it is now, because now they benefited from it, but what was it supposed to be at the time when the deed was created? And they may have an argument, because if dad wrote his will saying that he believed he was going to be able to give away his share, and the will from the original probate never said joint tenancy, they may have a colorable argument to say that the joint tenancy was never created. Now, certainly that's an uphill argument. And actually, the reality is they're willing to entertain that argument. They're willing to fight on that basis because they believe that's what their father wanted and that's what their grandparents wanted. So, you know, there's two sides to this story. You've got three surviving siblings who, who now own this property one-third apiece. And then you've got the grandchildren who are now saying, well, maybe we have a one quarter interest in this property. And is everybody going to end up in a lawsuit if nobody can agree? Well, it kind of looks like it. And what do you think is going to happen to the family? So here's my here's my train of thought. And, and, and this is what I'm talking about. When you have language on a deed, if you inherit property. If you're gifted property or if you buy property, you have to be sure that the language on the deed reflects your intentions. And just so you understand what happened in the other case, mom and dad died, left their house to four children. When they left their house to four children, the attorney wrote joint tenants on the deed. One of the children has died, and now the grandchildren are making a claim for their father's interest in the grandparents' house because they're saying, my dad never intended to be a joint tenant. It was supposed to be tenants in common. And the other side is saying, no, it means joint tenancy. You get nothing. Now, all of this is unfortunate. All of this could have been avoided 
if everybody understood what it was saying on the deed. So the first thing I tell folks is, if you own property with another person, you should definitely look at your deed and see what the language says. So if it says tenants buy the entirety, it means that you are still married, your husband and wife, and if you die, it goes to your spouse. If it says joint tenants, it means that if you die, it goes to the other person. It doesn't go to your family. If it says tenants in common, then it means it goes down your line. Your share goes to your children or your grandchildren, wherever you leave it. And a lot of times when I meet with clients and I ask them these questions, well, you inherited these three pieces of property. What do the deeds say? They'll say, oh, it goes to my kids if I get it, if I'm no longer here. And we pull up the deeds. And I would say um, a lot of times it does not say what they think it says. And immediately we have to fix it. So this is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO. The number here is 1-800-321-WPRO or 401-438-9776, 401-438-9776. Of course, um, if you're dealing with a problem, you have a question, this is your chance to call in. We're only here for an hour, and we're talking about the importance of small things. Small things. We, we consider deeds to be perfunctory. In other words, they're just something that happens, but they could have profound effect because of the language on a deed. And so it's so important to review your documents. And if you don't understand what they mean, you call an attorney, hire an attorney to look at them for you to make the interpretation and make sure that it's saying what you want it to say. And we Introducing Rich Valdez, America at Night, the podcast. Welcome to the conversation, Familia. A perfect blend of news and entertainment, interviews and insights. It's really just an expose on how messed up things are. America's nighttime town hall whenever you want. It's a huge problem that deserves a lot more attention. Rich Valdez, America at Night. Follow the podcast wherever you listen. do have Dennis from Cranston who has a deed question. Hi, Dennis. You're on the air with Stephen. Yeah, Stephen. Hi. Uh, this is my question as I'm listening to you. I own a home uh, solely in my name on the deed. Um, and I have um, my son who lives with me um, besides a few other people. And uh, my question is this. I'm trying to do some research on this. And um, if something were to happen to me, I created a will uh, where he would inherit the home. My concern is that there's a mortgage on the house. Uh, it's a low interest mortgage. And uh, the. Um, okay, so the uh, research that I had done, uh, familiar with the uh, St. Germain uh, Gone Act, where uh, the. I'm believing my son would be able to take over that mortgage if he lives in the home. As a general rule, I'll tell you what I found in yeah. dealing with mortgages. Generally, most mortgages are not assumable, which means they can't be assumed by another person. 
Now, there are right. some VA mortgages which are assumable. When you're no longer here um, and you're you know, onward and upward and your son now takes your will to probate, most of the time the lender, the bank, the mortgage company will receive notice of your death. Now, ordinarily, because you're the borrower on the note, and you're no longer here, they'll give your son a time frame or a period of time either to refinance or to sell. Okay. Now that time frame could be six months. I've seen people two years or more sometimes where the bank, as long as they're receiving their payments, they have no problem continuing with the loan. Some smaller banks I found, like, for example, credit unions and things of that nature, who hold the, their own paper. In other words, they keep that in-house. I found they seem to act a little bit faster than the bigger banks, like uh, Rocket Mortgage or Bank of America. Um, but generally, loans are not mortgages are not assumable um, when you're no longer here. And, and, and um, matter of fact, I just had a client who found that out as well, that they were trying to assume a mortgage and they were told in one point they were told, yes, I said, go back and double check. And then they were told, no, they were not assumable. So now, Stephen, that, um, so the St. Germain uh, gone act, um, when I was doing research on that, it seems to be um, that uh, the assumption is uh, an exception in this case. So this is what I'm trying to understand, if that's a, a fact or not. So that St. Germain Gone Act of 1984, I believe it is, and that some of the research I've been looking at shows that, you know, if you have a family member living in the home and you die, um, it it is assumable whether the bank, um, it, whether it's in the mortgage as non-assumable or not. So that's what my question, that's what I'm trying to find out. Okay. If that's true or not, or if I'm getting the wrong information. Well, I would start with a telephone call to my mortgage lender and ask them yes. that question because they're going to be able to send you two documents. One is going to be the promissory note and the other yes. one is going to be able to be the mortgage. Mm -hmm. And generally, if a loan can be assumed by another party, it's going to occur in one of those two documents where it says that you have the authority to do it. Now, the other option you could ask, you could ask them now, can my son become a co-borrower on my existing loan now today? Right. So could yes. he apply to be a co-borrower on this loan? Which means that his name would now show up on the mortgage and when you're no longer here, he's still a borrower. So he would still be able to pay at the good interest rate that you have. Do you understand? Yes. And but that those two questions I think need to be posed to your mortgage company directly, a customer service representative who can review the yeah. promissory note in mortgage and also see if that's an option. If you pay an additional fee, because you certainly don't want to refinance now at you know six and a half or six and three quarters 
what's the point of that to put them on the mortgage and then have a huge interest rate? That doesn't make any sense. Right, right. So, but there's there's no way that gone St. Germain acts where, you know, the um, terminology in there that stated it's assumable would require the lender to um, make it assumable if, you know, that, that were the case. I, I know what you're referencing. And the yeah. reason behind that act, it goes, I think it goes even further back. I think it's in the eighties, early eighties. It had to do, it, it had to do with the fed raising interest rates and the burden it was placing on small lending institutions to try to mm. alleviate some of that. And I'm not sure, you know, that may have that, but I'm not even sure if that's still applicable relative to what you're doing. So my recommendation is this number one, is a loan assumable? Number two, could you add your son as a co-borrower now to the loan? And then that way it's not an issue when you're no longer here. Right. Okay. All right. Find Excellent out the, question. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Very good. Very good. Good question. Good question today. And of course, it's a big concern a lot of people have, like, especially if you're locked into a two two five or two seven five mortgage, and you certainly don't want to lose that. And I think that's what a lot of what's driving the market as well. I mean, think about it. We have this real estate market now with 500 homes for sale and nobody wants to sell because who wants to give up a 2% interest rate to jump into a 7% interest rate and to pay more money? Um, because even though your house is appreciated and you can cash out all that appreciation, what do you do with it? Um, and I think that's what's really driving this seller's market that was still in, even with these high interest rates. And, but when you think about it, I think about 19, what, 1996, when we bought our first house, our interest rate was 11% with Rhode Island housing as a first time home buyer. And then even in uh, 2007, 2008, when we bought another house, we were in the 6% range. And we thought that was really good um, because obviously we started at 11. And then obviously with the interest rates that dropped all the way down to 3%, now we're back to 6%, which is more customary and everybody's hitting the panic button. But um, of course, it's it's been a hell of a ride so far. We do have callers on the line. So I was going to be getting into some interesting questions that I've received during the week that I like to cover. I do scour the legal news to see if there's any new development cases that I think really impact everybody. I haven't seen too much happen this week. And I think we're in that slow time of the summer. A lot of judges are on vacation. You know, a lot of attorneys take vacations. So you don't have a lot of activity in the courts. I think that um, probably in September, we're going to start seeing I suspect a flurry of cases coming down that will have an impact on everybody. But we'll cover that when that happens. First up, we have Sue from Cranston with an auto accident question. And I know a lot about those. Hi, Sue. You're on the air with Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. My name is Sue. I'm calling in regards to a recent accident my husband had this week in Providence. The, the accident report has errors all over the place. They have progressive as the insurance for us when we have Allstate. What he was, he was at an intersection on Plainfield Street and Webster, and the woman ran a red light, so naturally he hit her at the intersection. So we got all kinds of errors on the police report. We're processing these claims. The car was totaled. We're going through our insurance. 
to re, re, um, to get our asset back where the car was probably worth like $15,000. It's a 2018 Malibu. It's just very frustrating because on a police report, it, it appears she doesn't have any insurance. She was the driver. There was two occupants in the car, and he went to the hospital, one of the occupants, and my husband went. I took him. We live nearby, so I took him to Kent. It, he was in and out. So he went to the hospital as well, um, but he went home. So we're just frustrated by the whole scenario that it seems like it's being dumped on us through my insurance to recoup for this process. Oh, boy. Um, well, yeah. You notified your insurance company you had full coverage for your vehicle. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank goodness for all of that. Um, was yes. your husband injured? That you took him to the hospital? He just had took? a little bit of chest pain because the, okay. all the earbags went off. Oh, So my he goodness. did go to the emergency room. Yeah. Right. He, um, he had chest pain, but, I mean, I think he was going 25, so he didn't hit the brakes. It was just the impact of the car. He basically right. hit her when she ran the light, which she admitted. She has a citation yeah. to go to court for that. But I'm just frustrated by the whole situation where – where where are we? Where are we? The accident report right. is all wrong, and we, as far as we know, when we look at the accident report, she she's uninsured. So we're going through our insurance for uninsured so, so motorists. Here, here's what generally. Let me put. Let me tell you. Maybe put your mind at ease. Maybe not. Every yes. time I'm driving down the road and I see somebody swerving yep. in my lane, or I see somebody, yeah, I, I am. I have become the most defensive driver because. Yes. I feel the same way. And a lot of my yep. clients come in and see me and they say the same thing. They say, why is it all on me? I have to get my right. car fixed. I had to have my car yes. towed. I have to call yes. and get a rental. I have to do all, yes. like they take no responsibility for anything. And, you know, right. they, they have all this advertising in good hands and all this other stuff. Yep. And the reality is yep. when you're in an accident, it's all on you. I totally agree with you. But yes. If she didn't have insurance and she was an uninsured driver, what would happen is your insurance company will actually go after her personally for the value of the damages to your car, which mean or okay. and your husband's injury as well. Now, what this means is mm -hmm. it's something it's called subrogation. And actually what yep. the insurance companies do is they actually go after the person they ask the Division yep. of Motor Vehicles to suspend their license. Um, and so it doesn't cost you. In other words, it doesn't count as a claim against you to go through your own insurance when you're hit by an uninsured motorist. The other thing okay. your husband might be entitled to through, the, through your uninsured motorist policy is perhaps some compensation, although it doesn't sound like he was too injured. He should be able to get some right. compensation for his injury especially if he needs yeah. to follow up. But that sounds like if, if no one's been in an accident, so where your airbags have gone off, it is frightening. Can you, yeah. you, can you describe that? What happened? He was going down Plainfield street and at the traffic light of the intersection of Plainfield and Webster, he was on Plainfield heading toward 95. The woman came from the right. The light was, I believe he was yellow at the point under the intersection and she mm -hmm. just blew by the light. So she, she admitted at the scene that she blew by the red light. She admitted. Mm -hmm. Well, and when all those airbags went off, that had to be a terribly startling event. Absolutely. Because in, in, in that event, she, he hit her because she blew the light. 
Yep. She didn't hit wow. him. He hit her because she blew the light and she admitted it. And my question is, if someone in the, in the um, car had injuries, they're not going to go after us. They're going to go after her still, correct? Oh, absolutely. If they had okay. injuries in that car, then they are responsible for those. A hundred percent, she's going to be responsible. Your husband is not at fault for the accident. Okay. Now, the issue with the police report, unfortunately, you're never going to get it corrected. Once they okay. submit it and it goes on crash.com, which is where you download all yep. your police reports from, it's it's in there. And it's unfortunate okay. that that's a circumstance, but that's how it is. Um, you hope that the officer will be diligent to get all the information correct, but sometimes right. they don't. And that's just right. a, that, you know, that's just a, a course of life. Um, right. But if your husband, you know, needs follow up treatment or something like that, it may be a situation yep. where we would make a what's called an uninsured motorist claim where we contact your insurance company to get your medical bills paid or right. any time lost. And then they, again, okay. go after her. It doesn't count against you. See, a lot of people okay. don't have well, That's what we're worried about. Motorists. I don't want them dropping us. No, no, like no, 15, no, no. It doesn't 000. count against you. Yep. Uninsured okay, motorist claims, when you're hit by an uninsured motorist, do not count yep. as an at-fault accident against you. Even if your insurance company has to pay you, because the whole idea behind uninsured motorist is sure. that they're, they're, your insurance company is basically stepping into the shoes of the other party to say, what happened right. here? Okay, this person should have paid you. Now we're going to go after them. Now, is it so, possible because she wasn't the operator? She was the operator of the vehicle. I'm not sure if she owned the vehicle. If it's someone owns, um, someone else's vehicle, is it possible there is insurance on this and it's just not on the report? Could be. And what will happen is your insurance company, when they start doing their subrogation claim, they actually mm. can check under the names and social security numbers to see if somebody has a policy. But, um, you know, if they didn't have a card on them at the time, I hate to say mm -hmm. this, it's probably likely that they did not have, you know, they did not have insurance. And I think you're going to have to keep going forward. And like I said, if your husband has continued issues or yep. whatever, you know, you're probably entitled to get compensated for that as well for even if okay. it's a small personal injury claim. And the reason right. why you do it is because they will go after her under the uninsured motorist policy and it doesn't count against right. you. Okay. All right. Good well, that's question, refreshing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. it. Okay. Good Thanks question. so much. Good question. Oh boy. I'll tell you, it's just, you know, and, and that's exactly how it is. And that's, that's a frustration happening. You know, it's just a frustrating thing when somebody hits your car, even if they have insurance, it's so frustrating to go through the process and, and, you know, the way they build cars now versus when I was a kid, I mean, I remember my grandfather's Oldsmobile with the bucket seat in the front. We used to, I used to drive with him everywhere, you know, we go fishing or he would go down, you know, to go golfing or whatever. And that thing had a steel bumper, steel frame, uh, steel rear bumper. I mean, I don't think we had seat belts in it, but I just remember that thing was a tank. And, you know, nowadays the way they build cars, it's, it's like all out of plastic and small aluminum pieces and you get in a car accident and it's not just, oh, we'll just take the ding out of the bumper. It's now it's, you know, 
you're going to have a $15,000 charge for a scratch, you know, or a ding on your bumper. Clock out and sleep in this Labor Day with up to 20% off everything at Casper. Save on the mattresses and pillows you need to perfect your sleep-life balance. Goodbye summer, hello slumber. Try Casper at a store near you. Visit casper.com slash stores. Save 20% now through September 12th. Save on better rest. Exclusions apply. See casper.com slash promo. Everything is like that with all the sensors and everything. Of course, if you're listening to the show and you're saying, hey, maybe I need to call this guy or... I need a, I need some legal help based on 26 years of experience or, you know, I, I just I'm in a quandary with my current situation. Maybe I need to change lawyers for whatever reason, because I can't get a return telephone call or whatever is going on. You know, you can always give me a call at the office at 401-490-4900, 401-490-4900. Of course, that's my office. Um, you can also, also find us on the Google machine. Go to Google and type in my name, Stephen LeVay, Cranston, Rhode Island. I pop up. I'm right off of Reservoir Avenue. We have plenty of parking, handicapped elevator, stuff like that. So, you know, um, it's just uh, we've got a really good location and a really good office to work with, too. And, of course, I'll always be handling your case, whether I'm trying a case, which I do do trial work, and I'm fairly accomplished at it, or if I'm just handling a real estate closing, which I've done probably seven or 9,000 residential, commercial, business, transactional work. You know, I think that um, I have that, all of that experience over 26 years to put you on the right path and hopefully get you through whatever legal situation you're dealing with at the time. Now, while we're here and we're going up to the top of the hour, the number here is 1-800-321-WPRO or 401-438-9776. This question came to me from a listener, and they're a beneficiary of a probate. And they called me up, and they said they were they were kind of really upset. Not obviously not with me, but with the issue what's been transpiring in the probate. <clears throat> now. This person was informed by their probate attorney that they were going to receive a check for, let's say, $25,000. And ordinarily in probate, what happens is we calculate how much money everybody's supposed to get. So if you're supposed to get $25,000, we, we do a spreadsheet. We figure out how much we have to hold for taxes and other expenses. And then you divide it up between the beneficiaries. If it's equally, it's just equally. Everybody gets a release form. And yes, most attorneys will require that that release form be returned to us and signed in advance prior to us sending the check out. And there's a reason for that, because if we send you the check and we never get the release form, we can't close the probate estate. So we need that release form back. And so this person said it's been two years in probate. The house was sold. Um, they mailed her a release form and the probate release form said she's going to get, let's say $25,000. So she signed it. She sent it back. She had it witnessed. Would you have to, anybody can witness the form just requires two signatures. And that goes back to the person and the, the probate attorney. Once all the releases are received, this is my practice too. Once I receive all the releases, then I can distribute all of the money. Um, yeah, there's some train of thought on that, that you should distribute the money when per each release, but you know, for efficiency and accounting purposes, all the checks go out at the same time, everything's dispersed. The account is closed. And that's why most practitioners who've been doing probate like myself for 26 years do it that way. Now, 
Here's a sticky widget. So she's sitting there and she's waiting for her $25,000 check. She gets a follow-up letter from the attorney and says, by the way, um, I made a mistake on the form and now it's a smaller amount. But the attorney didn't explain why is there a smaller amount? Now, so the reality is that things can happen. For example, we may prepare all of these, and this is what I told her to put her mind at ease. We may prepare all the releases based on a proposed disbursement schedule. We send out all those releases, and all of a sudden, we get a tax bill from Division of Taxation. Or all of a sudden, last minute, we get a notice from Medicaid that we owe some money for some nursing home care. And obviously, that's going to change. Now, what this law office did, to me, wasn't the right way to handle it. I would have written a letter and said, hey, everybody, we sent out the releases. Thank you for signing all of them. However, uh, here's the bill from Division of Taxation. We need to deduct you know, $1,000 from everybody's share to cover this tax bill. Here's the new release. And guess what? It solves the problem. Everybody understands. Everybody's informed. And I told her, I said, obviously, I can do it for her, but probably the best thing is just to pick up the phone and find out what changed before you sign the new release. Because once you sign that new release, obviously, then you're releasing your estate interest and you don't want to be in that situation. So uh, that's what she was doing. And it turns out she actually called me back and she said, you know, Stephen, thank you so much for helping me. I didn't know who to call. I was I was so nervous. And it turns out that they received a bill from Division of Taxation based on the estate tax return. Apparently, there was some penalties and interest that had to be paid. And that's why there's a difference. So problem solved, simple solution, just needed some explanation, you know, and, you know, should she have had attorney from the beginning? Probably it doesn't hurt you to be represented throughout a probate. So my name's attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO. We do have another call around the line. We have Phil from Newport who has an auto accident question. Accident Hi, Phil, question. you're on the air with Stephen. Phil, you're on the air with Stephen, and we're taking your call. What's happening? Good morning. Thank you for thank you for educating me first. I listen a lot, so thank you. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Um. I was involved in an accident last Thanksgiving where somebody had rear-ended me and um, totaled my car. So I had uh, back problems before that. So I went back to my back doctor and just, we looked after it after about a month and a half, two months, everything was settled. I got an attorney and I gave all the information to my attorney. And that was probably back in January, February, and I've yet to hear from him. Um, that's very odd. Uh, from January yep. or February, it's been almost eight months. Um, yep. Have you have you have you called their office to say, "Hey, look, I, I'd like to talk to you, or I'd like to come in and meet with you"? We'll get back to you. I did meet with them. I signed an agreement with them. And um, maybe I hear from them maybe every two or three months saying they're working on it. Uh-huh. All right. My my recommendation would be this. 
Um, I would, and I always tell my clients when I get these types of calls to say, look, make, try one more time, make a call and say, you'd like to meet with the attorney to review your file because your file may be sitting on some paralegal's desk. Your file may be maybe missing some medical records, or maybe you haven't had a response from an insurance company who knows. And you sit down with the attorney and ask them what's happening with my case. You know, what do you need? Sometimes and Phil, and when I'm, I handle a lot of personal injury cases and sometimes I can't get medical records from certain providers. So I'll ask you to get them for me, but the, that's not nine months later. So really, I think what you need to do Monday morning, pick up the phone, call their office and say you want to schedule a meeting with the attorney to review your file. And, um, you know, I think that's what you have to do. And if if you can't meet with the attorney, then give me a call and I'm happy to point you in the right direction or give you some guidance. Or if you want me to take over the file, I can do that, too. Um, you know, obviously, that's an unfortunate the bar, circumstance. I called the Bar Association, and uh, they're no help. Well, that's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you call me, and I will find out what's going on for you. And if it's a situation where you need to have your case transferred, then we transfer it. If it's a situation where I can help you by making a telephone call, that's what I'm all out about. Alrighty, so Jake's telling me it's 10 seconds left, so I just want to say thank you to everybody who listens today. I truly appreciate you. I know you appreciate me too. Listen, you can always find me online at spllaw.com or my telephone number is 490-4900, 490-4900. This is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips. We'll see you next week. This is attorney Stephen Levake, your host of Legal Tips, live every Sunday on WPRO. Do you have a legal issue and don't know where to turn? Maybe you're buying a home, disputing a probate, or an offender bender. When you need legal representation, you can't wait. Call me, attorney Stephen Levake, at 490-4900. With more than 25 years of experience and success in and out of the courts, I am your trusted attorney. Call me, Stephen Levake, at 490-4900 and get represented today. Would you like to buy some new outdoor patio furniture at outstanding prices? Hi, I'm Kerry McKay, hoping you'll join us.